I'm Autumn Lockett. And this is Mitch Randall. And you're listening to Good Faith Weekly. Welcome to Good Faith Weekly. On this episode, we've got a very special episode this week. We're going to be interviewing Good Faith Media's media producer, Cliff Vaughn. He just finished producing Good Faith Stories, very first season entitled Brother Molly. It is a narrative podcast, as well as the podcast narrator, Erica Whitaker. So you'll want to stay tuned for that later on. Autumn, how are you doing today? We're doing really well. I am so excited for this podcast. Um, one of the very first things that I heard when I came aboard Good Faith Media was some of the rough start, you know, first few cuts of the Brother Molly podcast. And it was one of those moments where, uh, you know, you just like have like this frenetic energy start yeah, to kind right. of course through your body. I, as Erica will talk about in our interview later, I didn't grow up in a progressive Baptist world. So I didn't know who Molly was. In fact, <laughs> probably the people I grew up with were trying to make sure I didn't know who Molly was. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's all Mo- I yeah, yeah, yeah. Molly Marshall, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to mess with her. Don't, don't read any of her stuff. Look at this sparkly WWJD bracelet. Look over here. <laughs> true love weights, Autumn. True love weights. Anyway, um, <laughs> but it was just gripping. And to me, it listens like um, a This American Life episode where you sit in your driveway and you hide up from your kids so you can finish the story. Mm, yeah, it is really good. I mean, as uh, you can imagine, uh, the staff's been able to get a sneak peek of Brother Molly before its release next Tuesday. And uh, we also distribute it to just a few people and then listen to it to give us feedback. And uh, you mentioned NPR uh, podcasts that uh, that they produce and that's some of the feedback we got, that it is so well put together. Uh, Cliff yeah. did a great job in the production of Brother Molly and uh, had a great subject as well. Uh, make certain that you subscribe to Good Faith Stories. The first season is entitled Brother Molly. And uh, we're, we're just really, really... Uh, uh, looking forward to its release. Talk a little bit about Good Faith Stories, because this is Good Faith Weekly. So this is kind of our moment to talk about current events and um, interview people who are, you know, just at the cutting edge of what's going on in our world. Uh, so how is Good Faith Stories different than that? Yeah, well, Good Faith uh, Weekly and Good Faith Stories are both productions of Good Faith Media, which is the uh, company that both you and I work for. Uh, But Good Faith Weekly, as our listeners uh, know by now, is a weekly podcast uh, as we look at the uh, current issues where faith and culture intersect. We also conduct interviews like we're doing today. But Good Faith Stories is going to be quite different It is a podcast where it's going to be multiple episodes, but it's going to contain a narrative. So it's a narrative podcast. It tells a story. In this particular first season, uh, entitled Brother Molly, it chronicles the life and career of Molly T. Marshall, uh, who is a legend within the Baptist ecosystem. And we are already in pre-production of season two, Uh, We're going to be traveling to Little Rock, Arkansas, and chronicling the history of Second Baptist Church in Little Rock, Arkansas, that recently voted to be a welcoming and affirming church of LGBTQ persons. (laughs) Right. But uh, what we're going to discover in that narrative is that decision was part of their historical DNA. 
Because after we examine that process, we're going to take listeners all the way back to the 1950s when Little Rock uh, was facing the integration issue within their high schools. And Central High School, uh, which is very well known uh, throughout the country, was integrating their high school, and there was a lot of conflict around that. Well, I didn't know this, uh, and in our pre-production interviews, we began to learn a lot of great stories about how Second Baptist Little Rock stepped in uh, to uh, be a voice for uh, the black community, but also to establish the first integrated high school in all of Arkansas. Uh, because there was such opposition to it. So uh, it's a great story. Uh, That's going to be season two, and we're looking forward to telling that story as well. But uh, yeah, this first season uh, is about an individual, and it is six episodes, and uh, we're looking forward to bringing it to you. I'm excited. Um, I think it's if I had to give it a one-word summary for our listeners who are trying to decide whether or not they're going to subscribe to Good Faith Stories, I would say it is bingeable. It is bingeable. It's about four hours now with uh, the, now the prologue and epilogue uh, attached to it. So yeah, we're looking forward to its release. Uh, we're going to be interviewing uh, the podcast producer, Cliff Vaughn, and the narrator, Eric Wicker, after our listeners are given a sneak peek. Yeah, we're going to let you listen to the trailer just so you have a reference before we interview Cliff and Erica. And hopefully you can get from the trailer sort of what the voice is going to be of the podcast. But there is so much more to tell. Stay tuned. I'm Reverend Erica Whitaker, a Baptist pastor in Louisville, Kentucky. Some of you probably didn't know I, as a Baptist female pastor, existed. But I do. We do. And it's nearly impossible to explain our existence without talking about a woman, a pastor, professor, president, theologian, named Molly T. Marshall. Well, I heard about Molly and knew about Molly long before I met her. She carried on challenging uh, a male-dominated environment. She just looked at me, you know, with her wide eyes and said, I think you should cast your nets wider. I was struck right away by her openness. Catholics and Baptists, wait a minute, wait a minute, uh... How in the world is she so into this Benedictine stuff as a Baptist? I had never had anyone, I guess you would say, quote, in authority over me as a female. She's a resilient leader. (laughs) She's tenacious. Well, I remember the first time I met you. You probably wouldn't remember this. She wanted to be a Baptist minister. Now, this is early. This is, you know, mid-70s. I could see rascal in her. I knew she was never going to settle for the status quo. I'm the host of Brother Molly, an upcoming six-episode documentary podcast on the life and work of theologian Molly T. Marshall. The Brother Molly podcast is a story, one of achievement and loss, of accusation and forgiveness, of religion and politics. Here's Molly. Once again, I had to ask, do I believe the gospel? Do I believe in forgiveness? Do I believe uh, Jesus' capacity to restore? Do I have in me that possibility? 
Learn more at brothermolly.com. Welcome back to Good Faith Weekly. And this week we have the privilege of interviewing two very special guests that are close to our heart. Good Faith Media's media producer, Cliff Vaughn, and pastor of Butchel Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, Reverend Erica Whitaker. Did I just butcher that name, Erica? Well done. Close enough. Close enough. All right. <laughs> well, we appreciate you uh, joining us uh, on the pods. A very exciting time. We are going to be releasing the uh, much-awaited podcast in the series Good Faith Stories entitled Brother Molly. And so yeah, we... I know, right? It's uh, had a little delay or two, and uh, we hope that uh, you'll be able to listen to that wherever you get your podcast. So Erica, Cliff, welcome to the pod. Thanks. It's Thanks nice for to having us. Now, Cliff, uh, you are kind of in the dark, uh, literally, uh, these days, <laughs> because you had a storm roll through Nashville a couple of days. Everybody safe there? You guys doing okay? Yeah, we're well. It was not as damaging and not as costly in terms of life as the tornadoes back in March, but a lot of us are still without power. I think this is day three time all all conception of time started going out the window uh with the pandemic and then now being without power for several days has just compounded that but we're learning to be resilient and uh people are are doing uh the best they can well on top of the pandemic and murder hornets entering the uh the the country this is the last thing you needed so glad everybody's doing well and uh, hopefully you'll get uh, power restored soon Erica, how are you doing as pastor of a church or congregation doing okay through this pandemic? We are doing well. Thank you for asking. Um, it has been uh, not boring in the slightest bit. Um, I still don't understand when people say, oh, I have nothing to do. I'm so bored. Um, maybe one day I'll experience that, but not right now. Um, and I'm fortunate to have a great congregation who um, knows how to be church, if not uh, physically together. Um, they are very good at uh, staying in touch with one another. So I'm grateful. Well, great. Well, I'm glad uh, both of you are doing well and your families are well. Well, let's uh, jump right into the podcast. And uh, this podcast, uh, Brother Molly, it's about a legend uh, that many of us uh, at least know or certainly have heard of over our careers. Uh, Molly T. Marshall is a legend in the Baptist tradition. So let me just begin by asking you both the question, what intrigued you the most about participating in a project chronicling her career? Well, she is a living person who has given so much hope to so many Baptists, not only women, but men. And so for that reason, she is, as you say, a living legend. And her story made sense as a launch for our new narrative podcast, Good Faith Stories. Now, being a living legend and the fact that she has given so much hope to so many means that she has also been a lightning rod, of course. And so you could also look at that fact as another reason why her story would be so fascinating. But I don't think there's any um, shortage of answers why she and her story would be a logical first choice for the narrative series. Well, to be part of living history, like Cliff was saying, is quite an honor. 
And uh, that is what initially drew me to this project is that I get to participate um, in real time with what is taking place, not only in the Baptist world, but is part of my own story. And that is what is so intriguing about the story of Molly Marshall is that it connects to all of our stories. And to participate in some way, even just giving voice to this story, allows me to kind of intertwine my own experience. And that's that's the best part about this podcast is that it's not about one person's story. It's about these long branches that connect to a deeper root system of not only the Baptist world, but the human world. And that's what's most intriguing um, about this journey and the podcast. To Erica's point about living history, uh, which piggybacks on this idea of living legend. I think we try to be aware of all of our projects at Good Faith Media, all of our projects, while we talk about them in, in real time and we put them out today and we're 24 seven and all of that is true, but it also is true that we produce projects knowing that they will have something to say to us and others five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. And so we are chronicling something now, not only for our time, but also for the future. I was an undergraduate history major and I, that means a lot to me still. And I think it's important that we consider what we're doing now for the future. Very well said. I just want to take a quick minute, and if you were going to describe this podcast to someone who had never heard of Molly Marshall, um, how would you describe it? How would you pitch it to them um, if they had no concept of who this was about? I would first ask, have you ever read The Odyssey? (laughs) 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 And they'll most likely say no, who's read The Odyssey? But that's what the story of Molly reminds me of, is this great adventure that is full of obstacles and challenges and uh, victims and villains, but mostly people in between who are finding their way through the world. Um, And Molly has such a deep-rooted conviction and calling throughout her entire life that you can't help but root for her. And what she does throughout her entire life, and she's not dead, um, what she continues to do is to kind of embrace every obstacle. And even those monsters that come her way, she has such a grace about how she navigates those waters. And that story is worth telling, whether you you are Baptist or not Baptist, uh, because it's a human story that kind of brings us all into it. She is. This is a, a photo of a person's life, a snapshot, if you will, at this moment in time that chronicles her life up to this point. And she has lived such a rich and full life, and it's been full of peaks and valleys, and uh, the podcast certainly details those. Um, And so what I'm trying to say is there's a lot known about this very special woman uh, that we all have uh, grown fond of over the years. But in the course of making this podcast, was there a moment that you guys, I didn't know that about her, or was there moments of surprise for either one of you? No spoilers. <laughs> so I, if I can just confess a number of things, which this is probably not the place to do it, but I'm going to go ahead. No, the world I, is listening. All, all three of our listeners are listening right now. So 
Oh my goodness. I'm so glad I love my current position. Um, I did not know a lot about Molly in general. I grew up fundamental Baptist. And so the Baptists, I know high five autumn, um, world was very foreign to me, um, until we moved to Texas. And so Molly Marshall, the story of her, um, was something very new to me. Um, even though I've kind of, uh, ran into her in, uh, several different spheres and embarrassed myself thoroughly, um, in front of her many times. Um, so when I got to go to Southern yeah. seminary with her, just hearing her, talk about that hearing her talk about climbing on the roof um to like get to class um those type stories (laughs) (laughs) were just so intriguing because they were just so um human and you know incarnational to some degree um and that that to me like really grounded this kind of legend of molly marshall mm-hmm. that i've been hearing through the grapevine is just her kind of walking through walking through the hallways of her own history and um it was it was really in the in that moment i was like i'm part of something incredible wow yeah there were plenty of facts and factoids and incidents I learned about that I never knew. And I think as people listen to the podcast, they'll hear some things that they already knew and I hope and believe lots of things they did not. Um, I will say that probably the older I get, the less I'm surprised by things. (laughs) Maybe that's a common answer people give as they age, but I wanna be clear that I'm not jaded. I don't feel that I'm jaded at all. I think I can say that I'm less surprised by things, but I continue to be supremely interested in people Hmm. and supremely fascinated by people. It's one of the reasons why I love what I do because I get to learn not only, yes, the facts about some unique individual's life, but it's how that person's life illumines my own, how that person's faith illuminates my own faith, what this person's journey can say to each of us about our individual and collective journeys. I find all of that so deeply rewarding. And so to, to call it my job seems um, incorrect or a mischaracterization of what I do. And so was I surprised by things? Maybe. I'm not sure that surprise is the right word, though. It's just every conversation is an opportunity for me to learn something I didn't know. Mm-hmm. So, Erica, you alluded to when you all went to Southern with Molly, and that's the seminary where she was fired from. So how how was that? That was really extraordinary. And that was where I was most surprised. Um, one, I'm a fiery redheaded Baptist preacher. Um, <laughs> and so to, that was the first time I'd ever been to Southern. I've been living in Louisville for three and a half years and I hadn't stepped foot on the campus. One, because I still need like a good therapy session. And two, I just wasn't sure how I was going to receive that experience. And so to be on Southern for the first time in my entire life with Molly Marshall um, was really incredible. And I was surprised. I don't know why that was surprising because I think part of being a young uh, pastor is I'm still working through some, some bitterness of my own journey. And to 
to watch Molly and the way that she kind of moved and spoke about her own experience, even, even the rough parts was in such a forgivable tone. Um, even as we're looking at the walls of history and she's taking us through that, um, it, it was so, um, healing for me to be on the campus with her because she has already taken this journey of kind of grace and mercy for those that have wounded her. And that, that to me was really profound. Yeah. On the campus of Southern seminary with Molly and Erica, and it was just the three of us for an afternoon. That was not a trip that I will soon forget. (laughs) And I was keenly aware of the fact while we were there, I was aware of the fact that, wow, there are lots and lots and lots of people who would love to be with us right now or would love to be witnessing what we're witnessing, seeing what we're seeing, hearing what we're hearing. And really what happens there, I think, I don't know if that will surprise some people. Uh, Maybe. Um, We hope you'll listen to the podcast and, and see what happens. But certainly being there with Molly and not only with Molly, but with Erica and having uh, different generational perspectives uh, and and different generations represented while walking around and talking uh, was illuminating for me. And it was a a gift to me to be a part of it. Now, I mean, to set the stage for our, our, our listeners, I mean, this is, you know, Molly T. Marshall, uh, who's the president, uh, former president of Central Seminary, and uh, Dr. Al Moeller, who's president of Southern Seminary, uh, two icons within the Baptist tradition on polar opposites of the theological spectrum, uh, certainly at odds when Molly was there at, at Southern. Okay, so I got to ask. When you walked on campus, were you a little anxious? I mean, here we have three individuals, you know, who probably do not consider themselves part of the Southern Baptist Convention any longer, walking around campus with Molly Marshall, who could have been at one point public enemy number one on Southern's campus. Were you a little bit scared that they were going to throw the cuffs on you and escort you out? So I... I was really anxious. I think I was like sweating the entire time. And it was like a lovely <laughs> October day. <laughs> um, one, because I kind of felt like a spy, you know, like I wasn't supposed to be there. Cloak and dagger. Someone was about to escort us off campus at any point. And then I realized I'm not a big deal. Um, but I'm <laughs> with someone who is a big deal. Uh, yeah. So I was kind of waiting and just kind of watching to see how everybody was responding, um, particularly in the library, uh, when people asked for our IDs to get into the library. And the guy took Molly Marshall's, you know, ID and was like, why does this sound familiar? (laughs) Yeah, so it was was really kind of surreal um, as we were kind of just visiting. Mm -hmm. I was maybe a tad anxious, but... I knew that our purposes or motives for being there were not nefarious. We were visiting Southern with Molly and that was historical. That was a historical moment itself. Mm-hmm. And so I tried to um, be open to 
whatever might happen. And some interesting things happened. Yeah. Yeah. I almost felt like Molly's bodyguard half the time. Like I was waiting for somebody to like come out, you know, with the book or something and I would like block her or something like that, or tackle someone on her behalf. Hiring job. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. But, but again, how, how she postured herself at Southern was Mm -hmm. also how Southern postured themselves to her. And I found that um, really remarkable to watch. Mm -hmm. It was. Wow. Now, I don't want to give anything away, but there is a moment when you're walking around campus and Dr. Moeller appears. I don't want you to tell us about the exchange that took place between the two, but how, how did that moment feel for you two as you were looking in on two individuals who are part of the Baptist history conversing with one another? It was kind of what I would imagine um, a black hole might feel like. <laughs> <laughs> that was the last thing I would have thought of, Erica, but I'll go with that. <laughs> so Erica is now in this black hole. Tell us about what you experienced in the black hole. So the thing about black holes is that time itself gets warped where you're not sure if you're speeding up or if you're slowing down and it's stuck in another dimension of reality. That's so different from what's going on. So all I can remember telling myself was don't say anything, just remain silent, (laughs) which is difficult sometimes for me, but to watch it and to watch history collide with the present um, as if you're in like a carnival fun house with all these mirrors, you're seeing these kind of, um, it was just like seeing time being warped and bent while listening in on a conversation that you're not quite sure you're supposed to be hearing or not. It was, it was private and yet in such a public place holding so many different realities together. Um, it was quite strange and wonderful all at the same time. Yeah, sure. I think people are getting a, a sense of why Erica is the narrator of the podcast because <laughs> as she's answering these questions, she is bringing a poet's sensibility right. to how we characterize, chronicle, and understand our work on this. You know, the, the, the documentary work, and we call this a narrative podcast or a documentary podcast, and, and documentary filmmaking or documentary podcasting as this is, it, it draws on various traditions and various uh, sort of lines of work. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's, it's journalism, sometimes it's history, sometimes it's political activism, sometimes it's therapist, sure. sometimes it's poetry. And so as I listen to Erica talk, I'm mindful of the fact that, yes, there is a, a certain type of, of poetry in what we have attempted to do, even as we are talking about actuality, a real person, and real events that go back decades, as well as into the very, very recent past. And back to, back to Southern, yes. Uh, there were times when I just sat there, observed, absolutely kept my mouth mm-hmm. shut. And I, I, 
I think that there are going to be some moments in here that will surprise some people, I guess, um, maybe in ways that they like and maybe in ways that they don't like. The fact that we can't please all of the people all of the time and not that we have produced this podcast trying to quote unquote please people, but rather to um, provide some treatment of actuality mm-hmm. as well as being aware of the fact that this is a, an actuality and a real life uh, that is about faith. Mm-hmm. And that faith includes Molly Marshall's faith. It includes Al Mohler's faith. It includes lots of people's faith. And so it is, yeah. as I said earlier, supremely interesting to me to see this play out and to have a hand in trying to document it and chronicle it. And when you think about Molly Marshall's career, obviously most people know her about the uh, experience at Southern and her departure there. But the one thing I appreciate about this podcast is that it is chronicling her entire life. And uh, there are moments of really uh, private, authentic, genuine conversations that she has with you, Cliff, and Erica uh, about her life. Um, what was the one thing that you learned about Molly that you just didn't know? Well, I will start off by saying one of my pet peeves is when people refer to a book or a film as the definitive this or that, or they talk about something as if it contains all there is to know, or it's the whole story. And that's a pet peeve of mine. Um, my opinion is we don't know the whole story about our spouses, about our best friends. You know, even people that you love and care for deeply can be mysteries to you in a sense. And so there's a way in which we're all, as a favorite quote from mine from another project that says, we merely fumble in the dark with the constituent parts of another person's character. And I came across that in archives, and this was something that people had written about a dear friend of theirs, someone that they knew and, and, and loved for decades. And they knew this person as well as anyone else would. And at the end of his life, they concluded that we're just fumbling in the dark with the constituent parts of this person's character. And presumably, he would have said the same thing about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't ever want to say that we've said everything there is to be said. We absolutely have not. Um, so what was the original question? <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, uh, Southern was such a defining moment for Molly and her career, but this podcast speaks more openly and broadly about her life and career. Was there something that you learned about her you didn't know? Yeah, yeah. so I think I got on that tangent, sorry. Oh, uh, it was, good. It was great. We're, yeah, no one episode says everything that's to be said about a person. And so from the very beginning of this project, back in early 2019, we made the creative choice to try to cover the breadth of her life. That's not saying that we've covered everything, but we have gone back to her ancestors. We pick up the story with her ancestors and move forward up to, uh, you know, very recently. And so I guess as I look at all of that, one facet of our humanity has kept coming back to me over and over again as I've thought about Molly's life. And that is 
the ways in which we humans are extremely resilient on the one hand, but oh so fragile on the other. Mm. And each of us, I think, has both of those things within us. And we can see this demonstrated now with the virus or <laughs> there's a power outage in Nashville. Right. And you see just how resilient humans are and can be. And yet sometimes just the smallest thing knocks us off our center. It can be just a word. It can be a surprise, something we were expecting. And so I've seen that. And it's something that I've thought about for a long time on previous projects. Um, and maybe that's never been better demonstrated than with the story of Molly Marshall, the resilience on the one hand and the fragility on the other. And that might surprise some people um, who have thought Molly Marshall is resilience, 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 without recognizing that she's or reminding themselves that she's also human and fragile. Um, and I would say the same thing about Mitch and Autumn and Erica and myself. This is what it means to be human. Yeah. Very well said. Very well done. Mitch, can you remind me of the original question? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me rephrase it a little bit for you, yeah. Erica, because I mean, obviously you're a strong female leader who's a pastor in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, you know, when you signed on to this project, you knew that you were about to encounter a living legend. Mm spending time with her, what did you learn from her that maybe you didn't know, or was there something that was inspirational to you or that you valued more than anything else? Hmm. She's going to hate me for what I'm about to say. <laughs> uh, mark this. <laughs> Growing old takes courage. Hmm. And that that is a lesson that I learn not only as a pastor working with older seasoned human beings, but what I have found incredibly valuable about um, being part of this podcast with Molly is that, you know, the courage in which it takes to um, fall and fail and then get back up again. Um, even if sometimes that's self-inflicted or inflicted by ones you never imagined would hurt you so much or by, um, by people that um, you continue to love even in the midst of that, I think it takes an immense amount of courage. Uh, and, you know, the first episode um, is really more about her childhood and Watching what Cliff would define as resiliency, I think, began with Molly from a very early age. Um, and that, that to me, is something I will carry with me um, as I grow old, um, because we all do. Uh, but that's something that I think younger people um, who are full of confidence, um, strong-willed women, um, <laughs> such as myself, uh, <laughs> need to remember is that 
that courage is not the presence of strength, but the willingness to embrace your own weakness. And I think growing old is a testimony to that. And to to do that, as Molly has done, although she's not that old, (laughs) (laughs) I think still speaks to the courage in which um, I have found that she even surprises herself with. Mm. Very well said. So obviously, as we've alluded to, the podcast was not without challenges. Um, So right as we were about to release this thing in March, uh, we got the news of Molly's resignation as president of Central. Um, Was there a point when you thought that this might not happen? Yes. There was a point in which I thought this just may not ever see the light of day. And I'll be honest, I had, I had gotten to a point where I had made my peace with that, Hmm. even though I thought and still think that this project is the quote unquote best thing I've ever done or been a part of, or that our organization has put out. Um, Even with all of the challenges and it has been very difficult and yes, I thought this may not make it, but I, I had made my peace with that. But I will give credit where credit is due. Um, you know, Mitch has been very calm. I think this is uh, this is his demeanor. This is why he makes a good executive. He is calm. He gathers information, um, and you know, I think sets a good example and try to, as we all have tried to, I don't think salvage is maybe the right word, but tried to see that there is an opportunity here. And in some ways, just giving up on it may have been the easy way out. And it took a lot more effort and more courage and more work to try to get this thing across the finish line. But we hope it will have been worth it because there has been and still is, and we hope will be, an opportunity to talk about things that are much greater than ourselves. Would you say Cliff that there's more to tell? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's our tagline for good faith. No, it's yeah. like our handle marketing or something. Yeah, it was like yeah, it was like it was just sitting there. Um, yeah, there's there's always more to tell. That's why we chose the that tagline for our new organization. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There's always more to tell. Back to my point about nothing is definitive. None of us have said all there is to say. We never will. And maybe how boring would things be if we were able to? Yeah. And Erica, did you think that this was uh, this was going to be put on the shelf for a while? Um, I'd like to return to the black hole. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll go there with you. Let's go. The moment that I heard or the, the news broke out about Central, I was like, this is what it's like to suck something so great into a black hole. Mm. Like it's just going to disappear. Like it's not going to see the light of day. And that like the, the deep disappointment that I was feeling, you know, at the, at the pit of my stomach, um, was very much like that. Um, but, but again, I do think it was part of this kind of black hole moment, but it was able to come out on the other end and it was stretched and reshaped into a dimension that I don't think anybody could imagine and that time itself would 
would come to light. And again, just like you were saying, Cliff, um, having Mitch being willing to like move in that direction um, with it and, and to let kind of the story and time reshape itself into something that um, we, we didn't imagine when we started off mm-hmm. on the project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think to pick up on that, I think there might be a sense, and I hope I, I think I speak for, for all of us on this, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think some people knowing that Molly has resigned from Central and there's an epilogue to the podcast now, and for some people they'll say, well, now this humanizes Molly um, and maybe we have a better uh, quote unquote better story somehow. Um, I want to be very clear that I would never ever wish heartbreak or pain on anyone or any group for the sake of having a better story. Like that is not the kind of storyteller I want to be. That's not the kind of person I hope I am. Um, but certainly back to Erica's comment, it really did go into this black hole and, and come out the other side. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm not a physicist, so I, I, I can't explain <laughs> it. Uh, but it, it has done that. And I will also say this. From my point of view, the original six episodes already humanized Molly, hmm. maybe in ways that will surprise people. I don't know. People may listen to it and think otherwise. But from my point of view, the original six episodes had already humanized her. Yes, she is a living legend, but it was already exploring some ways in which she had to ask herself what she really believed about some people, Mm -hmm. about some things, about some places, and to explore that with her and with others. That's a type of... um, a quote-unquote emotional archaeology. Maybe that's a nod to Fred mm. Rogers, uh, someone, you know, Mr. Rogers, who I um, watched growing up, but the ways in which we try to get at the roots of things that matter. That's why I love what I do. That's why I think this project is important. That's why I think Molly Marshall still has something to share with all of the rest of us. That's why Erica is the, the perfect choice for the narrator. You know, that's why Mitch is executive producing this thing is – we have an opportunity to ask ourselves, what do we really believe about things we say are important to us? Mm-hmm. Things like grace, forgiveness, gratitude, failure, success, and so forth. Now, Cliff, thing that I really appreciated yeah. about this whole group um, working on this project is how intentional you all have been. And there's been a, you know, a real temptation to be exploitive about this, um, to be sensational about it, or to just run and hide. And I think there's a large amount of bravery that all of you have shown as you've worked through this living history and telling a story about someone who's not a one-dimensional Dickens character, because turns out they don't make great stories. Mm. And Cliff, you mentioned a moment ago about an epilogue. So once the decision was made by Good Faith Media to proceed with a potential release of the podcast, um, how did you decide to handle Molly's resignation and making 
that part of the story. And it's just, you know, again, it's part of this challenge of chronicling a person's life and telling a story who's continuing to live and make history uh, day by day. I tend to think that when you're working on creative projects, and I include a documentary podcast as a creative project, I tend to think that there are not necessarily right and wrong choices or right and wrong ways to go about it in terms of the creative choices, but there are better and worse ways. And so you're trying to see, you know, is option A better than B? And it's not that B is necessarily wrong, but you're you're looking for the better and the worse ways. Having said that, the epilogue is certainly shaped by the fact that Molly was willing to give us an on-the-record interview after the announcement had been made of her resignation from Central. And so my conversation with Molly is clearly central to the epilogue. Erica returns as the narrator to try to stitch these important pieces together. It gives uh, continuity to the previous six episodes, having Erica's voice remain in the, in the epilogue. So um, part of the epilogue is, is really about trying to continue the work that we had started in the original six episodes, which is what is the conversation we can have about things that really matter? The parts of our faith that speak to us, the parts of our faith we have questions about. Um, Erica, um, I'd love to hear what you have to say about, about the epilogue too. I, um, you mentioned kind of getting this pit in your stomach as, as news was breaking, which resonated with me. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I remember you calling me Cliff and being like, Hey, this is what's up. I'm like, Oh, thank, thank you so much. And now I'm going to throw up. Uh, <laughs> and you know, that tension that comes with conflict, um, you know, that makes a really good HBO series, but not like everyday life. Um, but it's that tension in which I think the epilogue holds so well. Um, it may not resolve the tension that so many people are feeling or experiencing, but it is so real and so human and necessary, um, especially since it draws on the tension and the storyline from the very beginning, from the first episode. And that to me is important. And that's why I said, yes, um, I, I want to stick with the tension. I want to hold that with you all in the most creative and helpful, non-exploitive way possible. And to trust, um, to trust that all will be well. And perhaps that's what good faith is, is um, trusting that, you know, the tension in which we hold will, will lead eventually uh, to the truth that we all know good and well, that all will be well. That's a great it's answer. Really interesting. I am not a theologian, uh, but I've certainly talked to lots of them. <laughs> I'm sorry, Cliff. I apologize for that. <laughs> yeah. Um, spent the last 20 years talking to lots of theologians and academics and ministers and people of faith. And so um, it's been fascinating and will continue to be so uh, to watch as ministers and people of faith process the 
epilogue in the original six episodes. Now, you guys have answered this, uh, both of you have answered this uh, in numerous ways, but let's just kind of, as we're wrapping this up, uh, try to boil it down to a couple of sentences. Um, What do you both hope this story and podcast accomplishes? I hope it does for other people what it does for me, which is prompt lots of questions about my own faith Mm. and how I treat other people and the way in which everything I do is um, informed by the love ethic of Jesus. So back to your question earlier, Autumn, my more to tell, my more to tell is one word. I hesitate to say it because it's become too saccharine or Pollyanna-ish for too many people, I think. And that word is love. Um, it, it, it is shot through, or our faith is shot through. Wow, that's not a good metaphor for faith, but um, <laughs> our, our faith is, you know, love, love is at the core of it. Love of God and love of neighbor, love for enemies, for crying out loud. And I don't, consider myself to be a person who has enemies, but each of us, I'm sure we all have people that don't like us for one reason or another. And so um, love is, is always in the back of my mind for how I behave. And it, again, it, it's not a saccharine kind of, oh, it's not a hippie-ish kind of, of kumbaya love at all. To me, it's the greatest, most powerful thing in the world. And it's what motivates us to do the good and often difficult work. Um, good things are costly. Mm. Uh, good things are costly. They're difficult. They cost you something. Um, and maybe we have a culture that tries to minimize cost, whereas our faith maybe tries to teach us that cost is inevitable. It's inevitable. And so accept it without despairing and understand that for the price of something, you can have something good and meaningful. Erica? Um, That was really, really lovely, Cliff. Uh, I feel that every good story is a mirror to our own soul. And when people listen to this, I hope they peer into the mirror and see their own reflection in a way that they may not have ever imagined. Um, This is why we keep telling stories, uh, because um, it's not some narcissistic approach to ego or superego, but it's a reminder of our own, not only humanity, uh, but our own pain, our own suffering, and just like Cliff said, our own need for love. And it is in those like painful moments throughout her own story that we, we get to experience love in a deeper way that brings us back to our own story and reflects something that we may not have seen within ourselves, whether that's courage, whether that's grace, whether that is love itself. And I hope when people listen to this, they are willing to peer deeply into that mirror and see, see themselves in a different light, in a different dimension. 
Well, thank you both for joining us. Uh, you have asked or you have answered this question time and time again, but Autumn usually uh, asks a final question of our interviewees. Uh, but uh, we're going to see what you come up with uh, in this last question. So, uh, Autumn, take it away. Yeah. As we've mentioned, our motto at Good Faith Media is there's more to tell. So as you look at um, an audience of folks who are about to experience this beautiful podcast that you all have created, um, through that lens, what is your more to tell? My more to tell goes back to love. I believe in not complicating the simple. My human tendency is to complicate the simple because that leads me away from the ethic of love. And if I want to, if I profess to be a Christian, why would I, why would I do that? I have to, stay focused. And so God is love. My more to tell is love. Uh, just to kind of piggyback on what Cliff was saying about love. Uh, for me, my more to tell is to trust and trusting requires a willingness to hold everything lightly, uh, even at times to let it go and to trust somebody else with that story. And that's one of the most courageous things that we do when it comes to love is that we trust somebody else with our own humanity. And this is a reminder of that, is that we are all called to love and to trust one another with our own humanity as God trusts us. And if we can all remember that, in my opinion, everything would be well. Well, that's a, a great way to, to wrap this up, but I, I'm going to add an addendum question to this because all of us, including myself as a former pastor, we often talk about how this is going to be influential within culture and what we hope people learn from it. Both of you have been through a very poignant time putting this podcast together now that it's coming to its conclusion has this changed you and if so how has it changed you um i'll start if that's okay cliff um there's there's just there's a posture of my heart that has changed um since that moment i stepped on southern campus with molly uh, back in the fall and I used to think that it was most important to take a position, to know where I stood, um, which was often against instead of with. And what I will forever remember is that holding a posture of humility is always embracing God's grace in anyone that we encounter. And so my, my mantra is a little bit different now is how can I hold a posture instead of a position as I make my way through life? I would say one word was resonating with me as Erica was talking. I can generally say that every project I work on changes me. If it doesn't, I'm not paying attention. Hmm. But the word that Erica used that really resonated with me was the word humility. And if, if we think we know everything, 
we're not paying attention. Um, we have to, as Veracova said a moment ago, and as Molly herself says at one point in the podcast, um, hold things lightly. This doesn't mean we don't, I think when you hold things lightly, you're taking them seriously. Back to my comments earlier about resilience and fragility. When you recognize things or people are fragile, you hold them lightly. You're careful. Um, one of the reasons why I would say this this project, as all of our documentary work is, it's it's emotionally taxing because we are working with real people. We are telling stories about real people. <clears throat> and if you don't take that seriously, um, I don't think you have a right to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I'm perfect. God knows I've made mistakes, but I try to be careful with all of the people who are gracious enough to sit down and, and talk while we hit record. Um, and so this project has reinforced once again, as Erica said, um, posture of humility is a wonderful image for me. Thank you for that, Erica, as for, as, as well as for your, um, minister's heart, your creativity, uh, not to take too much of a left turn here, but I first heard Erica talking um, and performing. It was a couple years ago. And when I first heard Erica, I said, wow, she is such a creative person. She sees through things and people. And I thought we have to involve Erica in one of our projects. And so here we are. And thank you, Erica. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you, Autumn. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is Cliff Vaughn and Erica Whitaker. Thank you so much to both of you for joining us on our podcast. We wish you both the very best. And we want to make certain that the audience knows that uh, the first season of Good Faith Stories, Brother Molly, will be released at locations wherever you listen to your podcast. So make certain you subscribe to Good Faith Stories. Both of you, thank you so much. We appreciate you being on the, the podcast today. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you to Good Faith Media. And thank you, Cliff, for putting up with all my shenanigans. (laughs) Thank you all. Thank you all very much. Uh, Well, stay tuned as uh, our next episode will be next week. Uh, Autumn and I have decided that we are going to go back to our regular schedule of releasing a podcast once a week instead of two uh, episodes a week so starting this week we'll be back to one episode a week so make certain you subscribe to good faith weekly each and every week we appreciate uh, you allowing us to come into your lives and as always remember there's more to tell